Hey everyone, welcome to the Wild and Uncut podcast brought to you by Ruger. I'm your host, Christy Titus. Thank you for tuning in. The line is going hot, so let's go full send on this episode. The big misnomer about bison is, oh, they tear up fences. And which is true, bison will tear up a fence if they're not happy. Yeah. If, if you're not providing food and water for them, they will go somewhere else. And yeah. There's not many fences that that'll can hold them. Hold them in. I mean, it's you don't have the money to build that fence. No. Okay, I've never. My mules have never stepped on me, and I I don't recall a time where a mule has ever kicked me. Well, as everybody knows, you were a diamond. And <laughs> Just saying. So that's it's, why. A tool of history and a symbol of the Old West. The Marlin Lever Action Rifle is the classic American long gun. Annie Oakley trusted the Model 1891 above all others to demonstrate her legendary marksmanship, and today, her iconic shooting prowess can still be harnessed every time you pick up a Marlin Lever Action Rifle. Marlin rifles now ride under the Ruger brand, and with that, you can expect the same time-honored features of the traditional Marlin rifle, hardened by Ruger's own special mark of exacting standards and legendary innovation. Ride for the brands that you are proud of, Ruger and Marlin. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Wild and Uncut podcast. I am here with my brother from another mother, Ty Stubblefield. Yes. Yes. Yes, sir. My fellow former Oregonian. Form, both former. <laughs> we both made the decision for mass exodus from that state. I You're, saw it coming four years in advance. Yeah, you made the jump probably when I should have made the jump. 2015 would have been the year. Yeah. But, you know. But my real estate investment that I did over the last five years really was was worthwhile staying for, I think. Right. So everything happens for a reason. I firmly believe in that. Yeah. For everything in life. I'm Sometimes you don't know why or what, but it, it is the reason and eventually will come to light. Yeah. Yes. So for all of you watching and those of you listening, there's a lot going on here. Um, we are at Total Archery Challenge in Big Sky, Montana. We're at the Bear Archery slash Trophy Ridge booth. I have not seen Ty. I'm trying to remember the last time I saw it. Was it Sheep Show? Sheep Show two, year, two, Three. Years, two years ago. It was two. Sure? Nope. Two. Okay. Ir- irrelevant. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. You've been out of the game for a while. You were single. I'm now married. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time you got to meet my husband, yes. which is so everybody, weird to say. Everybody on the interwebs knows he's your husband because I think you posted that like no less than 5,000 times. About my him being my husband? Yeah. Do I say the word husband too much? A lot. Am I supposed to just be like, this guy I'm hanging out with every day? <laughs> I bet him on Tinder. I think you were so... I swiped right. <laughs> you were so excited for so long that it was just husband, 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 me and my husband, me and my husband. It was cute. We loved it. Aww. We loved it. But even my daughter, Hunter, was like, did you see that, that Christy posted about her husband again? <laughs> You're like, I'm going to kill her. I know. We're like that disgusting was, couple that everybody awesome. hates. It and was it's, great. It's really gross. Just, Sorry about that. It's just fun to have something to poke, poke you with. I mean, yeah, I, poke I mean, fun of, yes. apart from everything else that's so obvious <laughs> and easy to make fun of. I'm trying to go back, like, in memory how I met you. Oh, goody. Can we get to tell that story? Oh, 
I don't know if I want to do this right now. I'm a little nervous, but yes. Tell the story, because I don't remember. So we met at the very first, um, and I forget what it was you called. You have a evil look in your eye when you're just like, oh. I'll leave, I'll leave some of the good stuff out <laughs> just to protect you, because I'm your brother. I'll leave just enough for curiosity's sake. But... uh so it was the very first, I forget what it was called, but Cody and... Full draw film, there, film no, no, school. no, the film school. Yeah, yeah that's what it was. School. And there was like... I was with Josh. There was like 19 dudes and, and Christy. me. <laughs> and I was like super impressed because, and I knew who you were, but we had never met. And uh, I just remember being like, holy shit, she can hang. Like you get 19 dudes in a room and one chick, like there's no, nobody's holding anything back. And you just rolled with it. Like, in fact, I think you made most of them blush. It was pretty fun. You actually, uh, Ty, so the whole premise of this film school is you make a mini film and edit it and you work through the process and kind of, you're supposed to be getting coached along the way. Yeah. And Ty did like a shirtless bed scene. Yes. What was the deal you were doing? I don't even remember what your commercial was about. I don't either, but I was naked in bed. Yeah, and then he has like this full (laughs) camera crew come in. First, they're doing like a hunting film, and Ty somehow finagles a shirtless bed scene. I don't don't know. So fitting. So fitting. And actually, my scene, I pretended to be married to Josh. Yeah. Which which was really funny because we had to do some hand holding scenes, and he was fully married to your. Or, um, my daughter. Stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that was like kind of awkward. We didn't like have a makeout scene or anything like that. Let me just clarify. It was just the far as it went was a handhold scene. Which for the record, if it had been you and me, we would have made out. <laughs> in, in the bed. <laughs> Shirtless bed scene. Good Lord. I do believe I tried getting you to come in bed with me. I but don't you remember. You weren't wanting to be a... Uh, Fill in. I wasn't. I wasn't going there. And we don't play that. Uh, that was a fun weekend. I. That was. Um, so that had to have been nine years ago. Oh, I. I'm not even going to take a stab at that. Yeah. Yeah, it had but to have been like nine least. years. Yeah, nine, ten maybe years yeah. ago. Um, so yeah, that and then. I don't know what happened along the way there, but somehow we all became like, if I it's have an birds hour. birds of a feather. Well, I'll get on the phone with you and it's like, I don't shut up for an hour. <laughs> I don't know what happens. Like I black out. <laughs> I'm like on the phone. I just, well, that happens all the time anyway when I start talking. So you like to talk, which is why we're podcasting. I like to talk. Which so is good Well, times. and so you and Josh had shooting the bull podcast, mm-hmm. which was super off the wall like fun podcast you guys just like literally had no boundaries left right up or down and we don't and we don't edit no (laughs) takes too much time everything was in (laughs) the podcast you guys were just like okay we're gonna just tell it all good bad ugly yeah it's going and for that for that podcast, I shut it down. Actually, shut it down. I, I, if I looked, I want to say it's been a year and a half. But if I actually look, it's probably been two over two. Um, but we, uh, I look out coming in hot. Um, I 
started a bison ranch like I quit my day job and started a bison ranch and so that was just a lot of stuff and so I I just shut it down I didn't have time to mess with it but so that, I am going to fire that back up yeah you should so it'll be a little different um but yeah we're going to fire that back up but so I don't want to jump ahead too far we're, yeah but. you just would you catapulted just now yeah so for the for the backstory for those of you who don't that don't know Ty you you know grew up in Oregon you were like this western hunter you know, pretty badass elk hunter. You, you you get it done, and I won't I won't go too far forward on how awesome you are with a bow with elk because with that we're gonna save that one little nugget for a minute. Um, but you guys grew up, you know, you were hunting logging roads, Roosevelt elk. You know, getting your tail kicked yep. in some of the toughest elk hunting conditions, I would say, in the country. Yeah, we, you know, we grew up in Western Oregon, Roosevelt hunting, because that's what we could afford to do, you know. Well, and that's what you had in your and backyard. That's what was in your backyard. And, you know, you weren't, we weren't taking months off to go hunting kind of thing. No. It was weekend warrior stuff. And, and evenings. Day jobs and evenings and stuff. And, and You guys were like the inventors <laughs> of the guys riding bikes. Like straight yeah. up bicycles. Yeah. This wasn't this e-bike thing going on. You actually had to pedal your bike. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm actually going to take the credit for... I, I can't say that I'm the pioneer by any means because lots of guys older than me were doing that. But in in Western Oregon, there's um, a lot of private timberland that is open to hunt. At least in the past it was. I mean, lots changed since then. But back in the day, OG stuff, you could hunt these private timberlands. But you couldn't camp. You couldn't camp and you had to you had to hike in behind the gate. You couldn't drive in. There's mm-hmm. no motorized access. And you had to go and in so, and out in one day. Yeah. So in order to cover a lot of country, which you have to do when you're elk hunting, we, um, I started using mountain bikes long before the born and raised days. Yeah. Um, but I just couldn't get anybody dumb enough to go with me. So I was always by myself. But it enables you to access a lot more country in a shorter period of time. And then if you are successful, it enables you to get it out faster and yeah. easier as well. You know, you're not putting all that pressure on your back and your hips and body, knees and feet and mm-hmm. toes. So he touched on Born and Raised. You, you were part of Born and Raised for a number of years, and that was kind of, you know, we were a big part of that and, yeah. and helped grow that brand into what it is today. And and uh, But when you moved to Montana, obviously, you know, there's always a transition in life. When, when you move to another state... There's always a trade-off in lifestyle, and you know Yogi and I are going through that now. And for you, it was okay. Well, I'm going to leave Oregon behind, and you, you moved into a different phase of life. And and now, now you've got the Wild Bison Ranch. You've like you're just you've changed so much in in ten years. It's unbelievable. <laughs> um, I can't keep track. I keep whiplash. But I mean, you your dream. Like we talked on the phone for years. You're like, man, I just I just want to farm and I want to have bison and I just love these things. And you, you were fascinated with learning how to raise them, care for them, process the meat, like make the process in kind of like I don't want to use the word holistic because I think it's abused by people. Yeah. But in a in a super holistic kind of manner, you know, and I like and a sustainable. To call it reality. Yeah. Um, it's real. You know, it's real. And and the bison aspect. For me, you know, we've we've always eaten wild game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so wild game has always been a part of our diet. And, and I, you know, haven't bought beef or any of that for years and years. Um, and so I recognized, like, I've always loved bison, but I had the opportunity to go help a friend who was managing a bison ranch and help him feed the animals. And when, when I was in that moment and in that herd, like, that little smoldering flame that I had just ignited 
we're in a windstorm here, yeah. just for everybody. Uh, I don't know what's going on right now, but <laughs> we're at like 8,500 feet, and the wind decided to start just ripping, and it's blowing everything over. And so, sorry about the audio um, yeah. on that. It is, it is a bit windy. I don't know if I have any winds. I don't have any wind things. Yeah, well. Um, so anyway, we, you know, that that just kind of lit the flame, and, and I was probably t at that point I was 20 years into conservation yeah. work as my employment yeah and and uh done a lot of volunteerism and a lot of conservation work and spent a, you know a good portion of my life in that and mm -hmm. and we've had a lot of long discussions because you know there's so much politics and conservation and and um I think both of us in that industry have done our best to bring the voice of kind of that public land DIY hunter, the person that doesn't have the money necessarily, the financial resources for these high-end places and say, hey, you know, we're that voice in these groups of that demographic of hunter, like the everyday guy. And that's one thing I love about you is, you know, some there's one particular group I can think of in, in mind that you've worked for that I don't necessarily agree with, with their, with their viewpoints. And I know that you haven't always necessarily agreed, but you were, you were that voice of me and the regular guy in, in that organization, maybe that, you know, wasn't being told or heard. Heard was probably, probably the accurate piece. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of great friends and family yeah. that, I, that have come from that. And, and I have no regrets no. And, and it was a, a great opportunity and a great place to be in life. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, like you can only travel so much and you can only work so long and do some, so much that, you know, you just need change. Yeah. You, you know, something that's good for your heart. Yeah. Every, you know, and, and there was a lot of stress involved. And like you said, the politics, I, you know, I get very emotional about that stuff. Yeah. So it just wasn't. Yeah, it was starting to burn a hole in my heart, yeah. basically. And uh, so the best thing for me to do was just take a break. And Exit. That's, yeah, and that's what. And so to that point, you know, it's been four or five years in the making now for the spicing operation. But, you know, that point of feeding those animals lit that flame. And I just went on a journey of learning yeah. everything about the animal, like everything about the aspects of being a bison rancher, because I... I've never been a rancher of any shape or form. Of well, he does llama farm. I do have llamas. I had llamas before. He that. llama farms, yeah. which was a really funny thing okay. for me when you started buying llamas. I was like, you want to get spit on? Like, <laughs> I mean, this is a thing? Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so we got llamas for hunting, obviously. But, uh, I'm like, just, get a donkey. They're, they're lower maintenance than your damn mules. Ugh. They don't. Yeah, but if, you can't if they ride step a llama. On me, if they step on me, I'm not broke down. If they kick me, it's, it's not going to send me to the hospital. Okay, I've never, my mules have never stepped on me, and I, I don't recall a time where a mule has ever kicked me. Well, as everybody knows, you were a diamond. And <laughs> Just saying. So that's it, why. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to happen. I mean, I'm not saying it has I was 13, I had a mule kick me. I take that back. It was kind of my fault, but she's also being kind of a bee. <laughs> um, but kind of 50-50. I, I, I grew up on horses. I, yeah. you know, but I, they're not I, for everyone. I get it. Yeah. And I, and I just that, like to give you a hard time. There's Oh, and I, vice versa. There's a lot of aspects to it, right? Like there's a lot of nuances. Like if you have mules, you're feeding them, you know, at least through the winter. Um, 
and I have to feed my llamas too, but they eat a anything. fraction. They eat anything, but they eat a fraction of the feed. Um, they don't, you know, the water's not a big issue kind of thing. There's just a lot of like, when I'm hunting, I want to be hunting. I don't want to be rodeoing. Yeah, you're cowboying. And yeah, cowboying. So mm-hmm. it could be both with with horses and mules. So not everybody's had the great experience that you've had throughout the years. Like yeah. there's, I've heard of plenty of. Well, mine aren't saints. I mean, rodeos my mule Otis is like 17 hands, and he's great. He's packed his whole life, but that sucker jumps water. And it's fine when he has packs on, he can jump all he wants. But when you're on him, I'm not joking. You get straight up G-forces. It scares me to death. Like, my horse can jump a creek all day long, and I'm like, whoop-dee-doo. He's 15 hands. He's not He's not like muskox strong or moose strong. Right. My mule, when he jumps, it is so hard, and he is so strong. Um, it, it's hard to even put into words. Like, like, my horse, I can jump a creek, and I'm like, ooh, you know, no big deal. But you put me on that mule, and he jumps, he scares me to death. So, I mean, none of them are perfect, right. you know. I mean, it's not that he's trying to be mean. It's just there's, like when an animal is 1,500 pounds, yep. there's so much power yep. there. And you're you're along for the ride. Like, I've Nick got it on video. He jumped a creek one time, and I kind of flung back of my binoculars, black-eyed me. And he got it on camera, <laughs> and I have this photo of my binoculars, black-eyed me as Otis is jumping. So they aren't, have one of these. they aren't perfect. I get it. I you know, and they all have their own little things that they do yep. or don't no, do. No, yeah. none of them perfect. <clears throat> no. Absolutely not. But for me, and at the time when I got the llamas, like they're they're the right choice, and they're still going to work out great. That said, like now we have acreage and grass and hay yeah. and stuff, and, and you have and to life, keep them separate from your bison. Lifetime, yeah. Yeah, which is not a huge deal, but, you know, life's different now. Like, I didn't have the time before to, like, a lot of training because, you know, you have to keep up on your animal just like you. You have to keep in shape. Your animals have to stay in shape. Like, time's different now, and and I'm I'm, I'm looking for, you know, we're looking for horses and stuff or mules, um, and that'll come. We'll get into that. Yeah. I'll keep keep the llamas, too, because they have their place in life. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh but yeah, I forgot where we were going. With I that have whole no idea. Story. It doesn't matter. We're just talking. Uh, no, but, so Wild Bison Ranch. No, now your 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 goal is ultimately you're gonna you have meat hunt, uh, not meat hunts, but meat animals. But eventually, you might be able to offer meat hunts and trophy hunts yeah. someday. That's yep. kind of a goal. That's coming down the road. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And what's cool about that, in my opinion, is people that want to have this experience where it's truly. Um, I, I don't want to say it's fair chase because it's it's, just, it's more like um, self-sufficiency, mm-hmm. learning self-sufficiency. Um, it's not it's a different aspect than like going out deer, elk hunting, hunting bison. But it would be kind of, you know, for a lot of people to have that kind of pioneering American experience where you actually harvest, process and take home similar to you would with wild game, but yep. in a different component it's so yeah a lot of people are like oh you're gonna offer bison and something no it's not a hunt it's not a hunt that's what i'm if saying if you want to harvest your own animal yeah in our field i'm i'm cool with that like yeah. we can arrange that it's yeah. not something i like offer right now whatever yeah. but if somebody wanted to do that and it was like you know somebody new to this whole um aspect of knowing where your food comes from yeah and they wanted to come out and experience that mm-hmm. i would i would absolutely entertain that and yeah. love to love to make that happen it's not a hunt. No. Um, I am, and I, you know, and everybody's got their own definitions of hunt, right? But 
you know, talking about the future, like I'll be able to, I'm working on properties where I'll be able to turn, you know, some bulls loose on those properties and then we'll go out and yeah. hunt them. Yeah. And, and it'll be a hunt because. Those things are freaking wild. They're, yeah, they're not, I mean, no. you know, and it all depends on how much human interaction and what kind of personality yeah. they have. But a lot of those old, like older age bulls, um, they, they're wily. They're not, you know, they're, yeah. they're just like anything else. They don't, they want to be left alone and you have a big enough chunk of land. If you go out and hunt yeah. them, well, you know. Well, think about it. Eastern Oregon has <clears throat> some wild bison that got loose, or bison that were not wild, but they, <laughs> they're they wild. And th- those guys are like, man, th- they are there one minute and they are gone. Mm-hmm. And and I know a lot of people that spend a good amount of time looking for them and they hide in plain sight yep. and they, they're really, uh, they're really cagey animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can and, be. And fact of the matter is there's no fence that can hold them in no, no literally yeah. yeah so anyway like fencing them in is not not going to be a thing if you're like treating them like a wild animal yeah. so but anyway yeah no, that's something that we want to offer and, and we're as and we as we fix things up around the place because when we bought the place it was run down it was yeah. nobody lived in it in five years nobody really done anything in the last 10 so there's a lot of a lot of things that have to be brought up to speed like irrigation fencing the house, the living conditions, all that stuff. Um, and you guys just went through that big Yellowstone flood and just got wiped out. I yeah. felt so bad. Like you sent me photos in your, cause your property is river bottom and I could not believe the photos. Like yeah. you're out there paddling in your boat where your wall tent camps were. Yeah. So yeah. So we have wall tents set up on the river to, to rent out. And like have, ecotourism, like Airbnb yeah. tent camping. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's Bridger Canvas <laughs> Cabins, and it's on Airbnb, and, and they're furnished. they got beds. You know, it's, it, They call it glamping. I, I don't like calling it that, but that's kind of what it is. But there's beds and everything, and you can come stay, and there's just a ton to do around there. Yeah. But we had these tents on the river, and they're set on decks. And we built these decks, and they're sitting on that. And um, Yeah, when that flood hit, so we're on the Clark's Fork of the Yellowstone, and... We knew that th- we knew it was coming, and so we were going by their <clears throat> predictions. Predictions, yeah. And I went down. I'm like, oh, this is actually quite a bit higher than it was last year. And like, I don't. The road going down to where the tents were is low, and then it comes back out. And so the river kind of fl- flooded into that already. I'm like, shit, I don't like. Even if we went out now to get them, we're gonna have problems getting through that section. And so I got on there and looked at their predictions. You know, got on their website and. They're like, yeah, it's supposed to peak at like 12 foot one. And at 12 foot one, nine foot was flood stage. It's supposed to peak at 12 foot one. Um, and at 12 foot one, we still had like almost two feet to spare. I'm like, well, it's got to come up two more feet above that. We're good. We came down. So that was at like nine o'clock in the morning. We went down at lunchtime and it had come up and was like, I thought it was higher than 12 one. And now it's too late. Like you, you're not yeah, pulling yeah, the tents yeah, up. Yeah. So we came back just before dark and the tents were floating on those decks. Like it had come up two feet in just a handful of hours. And we're like, oh, and decks were starting to float away. So we ran back to the house, grabbed a canoe. My brother and I came out and we canoed out in the river that was, you know, flood stage. I mean, we're talking, they said it's a 500 year flood. And I believe it because the debris and logs that were coming down that river was unbelievable. Yeah. So we're out there dodging logs in the canoe 
and tying stuff up. We took a bunch of rope up out, and we're tying up decks. We're tying up the tents. We're, like, just tying them to brush and trees to keep everything from floating Were away. you able to salvage most of that stuff doing it? We lost one section of deck. Um, it floated away. We didn't get it in time, but we saved everything else. Um, and it flooded, and it put a bunch of mud inside the tents and stuff, but it didn't really damage anything outside of that. We got off pretty lucky there, but we had to tear everything down clean everything up and we have to reset everything mm -hmm. so because they're sitting on decks and blocks and all the blocks that they were sitting on floated away so they're just kind of sitting on the ground but yeah we got hit a little bit but nothing compared to a lot of people yeah like what a lot of people experienced yeah a lot of people lost it i mean there was houses going down yeah, the river there's houses um real estate like there was like um i forget the number of bee boxes that floated down the river but the estimated loss was like eighty thousand dollars in bees. Oh my gosh! That they lost. That's a there's a I forget what they call them the bee place the honey beekeepers yeah yeah there's a term for it I don't know place that processes the honey yeah there they have all the bees bee boxes around there so are you gonna anyway. do bees on your place? Yeah, my brother is already. Yeah. You know, it's a family operation, so I'm managing the bison side of it, and my brother and sister-in-law are doing chickens. Um, you know, they're doing free. Uh, what do they call it? Um, they're in chicken tractors that are in the field and they move them around. I have I no idea called. what that means. Anyway, they got chickens, they got meat chickens, they got eggs and ducks, uh, chick, you know, laying chickens and ducks. And then my brother's doing some bees. So I'm, I just want to focus on the bison. But. Mm -hmm. And you guys are doing jerky sales, meat sales. Mm -hmm. People can go on, on your website. Yep. Right now, which is what, wildbison.com? Wildbisonranch.com. Okay. Yep. And they can order steaks, jerky. Yep. Yeah. So we have, so we have a couple of different um, opportunities to buy meat. And so there's, there's, there's four different levels of, of meat processing in the U.S. And the first one is, and the, the highest level of meat processing and sales is USDA certified, mm -hmm. which is what 90% of people... Beef. Anything. Grocery all stores. Of it. Yeah, any any meat that's processed has to be USDA inspected if you're going to sell it anywhere in the United States, pretty much. Um, and so that so that process is, is you have to haul the animal to the processing facility alive. Well, I'll back up. That process is that there has to be a federal inspector, like, views the animal while it's still alive to make sure it's healthy. And then the animal's killed in the presence of that inspector. And then the animal is skinned and then put into a, you know, meat locker, a cooler. Um, that can happen one of two ways. The, you can, there is a way to field harvest and then put it in a trailer and then haul it to the processing facility. That process requires a, a inspector on site, you mm -hmm. know, a federal agent on site, um, which is really expensive. Yeah, I can imagine. Because any processing facility that you buy meat from, they have one or the place that we get processed for our USDA side, they have two inspectors. They have one on the kill floor going into the cooler and then one from the cooler going into the packaging and cutting and packaging side of it. So they, they have to pay, they're basically paying their wage mm -hmm. and they have to provide them a office to work out of. So there's quite a bit of expense as USDA certified um, processing plant to just to be legal yeah. to, to the USDA side. So right now we're not able to field harvest. So I have to load them in a trailer, haul them to the, you know, processing facility and then 
they go through that, you know, kill them and process yeah. them and everything. I don't care for that too much because there's just something about me that doesn't like loading bison into a trailer and hauling them to a processing plant. Yeah. I just... You'd just rather have them killed in the field. in the soul, you know? Yeah. And, but in order to play the game, that's what you have to do. Yeah. So we'll do that. I, all the time I'm doing that, I'm working on that field harvest option. Yeah. Okay. I like that too. Like for me personally, being a hunter, people say a lot of times, oh, how, how can you shoot a deer? How do you do, I mean, how can you kill an animal? And it's like, man, they're out there eating grass, being deer. They're not afraid. They're just loving life and you harvest that animal and it's the most like humane thing as far as, you know, dying in my opinion for an animal can be is in their natural element mm -hmm. doing and living their life. Like you said, putting them in a trailer and taking them. My kids, my sister's kids raise pigs for a fair yeah. and they put those pigs in, in the trailers and, and now they, they've got, you know, the pigs, they won't even take pigs that have any kind of injuries now or limps because, like, the pigs are dying in the trailers. Uh, they have Typically, they die if they have leg injuries. It stresses them out and they ended up dying. And then, you know, the, the pigs, yeah. you know, the, the transporter's responsible. That transportation process is, is rough on it's animals. It's super stressful It's on super them. stressful. And, and there are scientific studies that show the difference in, yeah. in the, the makeup of the meat. That's why I like being a hunter. Mm -hmm. You know, the way we harvest, um, I mean, it's just, it's a, I, I find it to be a beautiful part of life. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful process. Well, it's the part of reality that people, some people choose not to be a part yeah. of. But, but yeah, and, and yeah, and so there's definitely a difference in, in the meat, um, the stress level of the animal. Yeah. And so the, the other, the other, the second option which we utilize is called custom exempt. And so that's what a lot of like your rural folks, like mm -hmm. if you bought, you know, say your neighbor's got four cows and yeah. he's like, hey, you want to buy some cow? And you're like, yeah, I do. And you're like, yeah, I'll buy a, I'll buy a quarter of it. Mm -hmm. And then so he'll sell all four quarters. And then then once you've you have to give a down payment, he'll kill that animal, gut it and then take it to the processor or he'll have the processor come out, kill it, gut it. They'll take it and process it. And then that meat will come right back to you and it says it'll be packaged and say not for retail sale or not for sale yeah. and it's yours only you can't yeah. you can't turn around and sell that to anybody yeah. legally and um, you know that processing piece there is you know you get you get um, your portion of that animal so they cut that animal up and you'll have you know 20 ribeyes and you know yeah. 10 new yorks and whatever and 300 pounds of grind that will be split up evenly by four and then you get that portion. Yeah. That's, and we do that process, which I prefer because number one, it's, you know, I mean, you're getting, give, getting rid of more meat at, at one time. Um, but also I'm getting to, I'm able to field harvest, Yeah, which is, I mean, and then personally I like, don't enjoy that part. Like I don't like killing my animals, but it makes you feel better about the death you're giving them. The, they're going to, you know, if it's going to happen, I want it to be by me and I yeah. want it to be in the, you know, in the field. And, and honestly, when we shoot them, um, like I'll shoot it, you know, it'll fall and I'll go right over there and I have to chase the other animals away mm -hmm. to bleed it. So I'll slit its throat and bleed it out on the ground. And I, I like have to watch my back because when they protect one, it. Mm -hmm, when one dies, they surround them. Um, and so I like have to be careful in that piece. But uh, but 
I much prefer that for the animal and just for, for myself, my own sake. That, and it's just a better process. And then there's two other ways that you can buy meat that aren't Not really to relevant to yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I think people, you know, even myself, you, when you go to the grocery store and you buy a package of meat, you don't really think about uh, what goes into it being there and, and what the animal goes through, you know, for that package to be there. And um, there's so much judgment that comes into being a hunter. And I think you know, honestly, hunters, uh, care for animals more than anybody else in the world. Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know, the consideration that you put into what the animals you're raising are going through, uh, to fulfill their purpose, which, you know, we, we, there's a, there's a circle of life here and it's a sustainable harvesting practice and, and you're managing these animals for that purpose. And, and, um, it's, you know, it's part of, part of life is also, you know, harvesting meat and growing vegetables and like you said you guys are doing the whole what is the it's not a hobby farm you're 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 a small scale commercial farmer now yeah 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 it's i mean i I don't know what number makes you legit but i feel like we're we have we have 42 we have 42 animals right now um so we have nine yearling bulls two breeder bulls and the rest are breeding cows Mm -hmm. Um, and then we just, I, I don't know what the number is right now. I think we're at like 26 calves, um, 27 maybe. So we just had a bunch of calves, which is awesome. Really like, fun. Really fun piece. Like, so for all your listeners, uh, bison calves are called red dogs. Nuh-uh. Yeah. Cause they look like little red dogs. Aww. They're cuter than shit. Um, yeah. And is what's funny is that we call it the zoomies. They'll get the zoomies. And they zoom, zoom, And they're just running around. Yeah. And you know when a dog gets to run and a <laughs> mm-hmm. dog gets the zoomies, like it, it's like its ass is trying to pass its front legs. Yeah. They do that. It's hilarious. They just run around. So they're cute. Um, then they have a great life. Yeah, they have a great life. Like they're all happy. Um, and we try to keep them happy because, you know, the big misnomer about bison is, oh, they tear up fences. And which is true, bison will tear up a fence if they're not happy. Yeah. If they're if you're not providing food and water for them, they will go somewhere else. And yeah. there's not many fences that that'll can hold them hold them in. I mean, it's you don't have the money to build that fence. No. So if you just keep them happy, and um, we're we're right now we're cell grazing, and so we're doing what they call regenerative ranching. And it's taken it's it's not your typical ranching practice of just turn them out you know, turn them out in the summer and then bring them in in the winter and mm-hmm. feed them hay. Like we're, don't do that. Um, we're cell grazing, which it's called the herd effect. And so if you put them in a smaller area, so right now our cells are about seven acres, you put them in a smaller area so that they focus on that area. They eat all the grass relatively evenly. Um, and what, and there's like weeds and stuff. Like we got thistles and we have a uh, foxtail. It's also called squirrel tail. Um, some other weeds they'll actually they won't necessarily eat the weeds some still eat some of the thistle and stuff but they'll stomp it into the ground and so they actually kill the weed while they're there very interesting yeah and so and then and then what they don't eat they're also like the grass that they don't eat they're also stomping into the ground which is beneficial because returning that organic matter back into the soil Mm. which is a positive thing so they're helping helping kill the weeds they're eating the grass down and then they're you know they're helping return some of that back into the soil then we'll move them after whatever you know every cell's different so it might be five might be seven days we'll move into the next one they won't be back to that cell for right now i think our rotation is pushing 70 days Mm -hmm. 
So we'll just move them cell to cell to cell, and we got this rotation dialed in. That's we balance out our irrigating with that because we're flood irrigated, and mm -hmm. so we got to like time all this. And there's some logistical issues there, but fascinating it, actually. Yeah, but it's not. It 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 is a. It's it's just it's kind of a. Some people think, oh, that's a lot of work. I'm like, well. So is like moving them, like a lot of the, our neighbors who rent, you know, have cows, like they're trucking their cows all over the place all, all summer For feeding. Long. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're moving them in trailers and trucks all the time. And then they have like hundreds of acres where they've planted corn to feed them for the winter. Yeah. And my mindset's different. I'm like, well, why wouldn't you just plant grass there and rotational graze them? It's going to benefit the soil. It's going to benefit the grass. And you'll be able to grow more grass, mm -hmm. and and then you won't have to feed in the winter if you do your rotations correctly. So two and different you, mindsets. Because you're not overgrazing. Right, and so overgrazing means that. So the principle is the rest time, and and I'm by no means an expert on this. I've just I've spent the last four years educating myself on it, and so now we're actually putting it into practice. But the 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 benefit is in the rest period for the grass. So overgrazing is if you just turn them out on this, you know, 70 or 100 acres, how many head you have and you have 100 acres, and you just turn them out and you let them do their thing, they're going to wander all over that thing, and they're going to eat here, they're going to eat there. Because you're going to have highs and low spots. Mm -hmm. And you're going to eat there. And, and then over here, they haven't touched in four or five days, and the grass has started to green up again, and so it's getting four or five inches tall. They're going to go back over there, and they're going to eat that grass because it's sweet, it's tender shoots, it's what they want. And so when they do that, then they just eat it lower and lower and lower to the ground. And then pretty soon that grass is not going to want to grow back because I think it's after two bites, they call it. Um, after they've eaten off that green shoot twice, that grass, it stops its growth for the year. Mm. So that's where your overgrazing comes in. We just let them do, do their thing. Because you're going to have high spots because it's not as sweet. And they're yep. not going to want those spots. Yep. They want those. They want that low baby grass. So they keep hitting that fresh grass. <clears throat> when you sell graze, it forces them to eat the high stuff. Yep. Like it forces them to eat what's there. Um, we're able to do that with um, just two-wire poly. Like wow. Wow. In, in, as our divider fences yeah. and it's not by any means bulletproof because when they want to when they're ready to move they move themselves like yeah. they'll they'll remove that poly wire yeah um which is fine like it's you know not that big a deal it's that perimeter fence i don't mm -hmm. want them breaching but um and we run five wire high tensile yeah hot fence but uh but so we'll move them around like that and and i already have my first opportunity to hammer weeds so we 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 moved them this spring out of, we had a, like a winter lot. And then I actually fed like 15 bales. I didn't feed a bale all spring and then, or all winter, sorry. And then in the spring, as the grass was starting to green up, I wanted to keep them off of it as long as possible. Yeah. So we had this, um, I think it's probably like seven or eight acres that we kept them in most of the winter after they they fed off all the tall grass. And as spring hit, they were about done with all the grass that was in there. Because I let it grow all summer. I didn't, yeah. I didn't graze anything on, in the summer. So the grass was super tall. They ate that through the winter. And then, like I said, we were trying to get that grass grow up. So I fed 15 bales. So I fed like two bales a day, a bale a day, two bales a day, depending on what the weather's like. And I did that for like three or four weeks. Were you talking about 1,000 pound bales? Mm -hmm. Help, yeah. Yeah, okay. big round bales. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so that gave the, the green grass a chance to grow up. Yeah. And so we moved them into the first paddock 
and they fed through that and then we rotated them around and then we've got a north field and a south field and so we moved them out of that north field because they'd made the full rotation yeah. moved them into the south field well while they're in that south field in the first rotation which i think we have six or seven paddocks in that south field the very first one that they grazed in the spring it was getting tall like it was you know already growing up pretty good but it had a whole bunch of foxtail and foxtails Bad. I, I hate it yeah like it's horrible um and so i'm like man what am I going to do? Like, we're not spraying, you know, we're not doing this, you know, so what do we do? And so I went back to the regenerative side of things. We actually we took a mower, a brush hog, and I brush hog the dense patches of, of the, it's actually called squirrel tail, this species. I brush hogged as much of that as I could. And then, then I brought them back in and I left them in there, like, for an extended period of time. So, like, they should have probably been in there for, like... You brush-togged it. You didn't remove it. You let, let it lay. Yep. I brush-togged it just as it was starting to... You, just as you could tell, you know, it starts to flower out a little bit or seed out. It's not seeded yet, but just as you can tell, it's going to be a foxtail. Because it's hard to tell the difference in those grasses. Um, so, once it starts to seed out, went in there and brush-hogged it. And there were still some in there. Then I brought them in, which was probably you know, 30 or 40 days before I should have brought them in there to let the grass grow up. Yeah. But I wanted to kill out that foxtail. So I brought them in there and just ate it to the ground. And then now I've just, before we actually came to tack, I moved them over back, back over to the original rotation. Um, so in theory, they ate that grass down low because I kept them in there probably three or four days longer than they should have normally. Because I want that grass to be eaten down. I want to stun its growth. I, I don't want that to grow back and seed out yeah. for the next year because it's an annual. So if it seeds out, it's just going to keep seeding yeah. every single year. So if I can hammer it before its seed stage, it'll kill it. So that's our goal. We'll find out next year how well that worked. But um, it looks great right now. The noxious weed thing is a huge issue. So like on my small 60 acres in Oregon... It was never ending. Thistles yeah. were yeah. horrible. Like I have had, I had that property for five years and in last year, the year before I had like a hundred thistles come out of nowhere. Yeah. Anywhere we disturbed the soil, all of a sudden it thistles and Yogi and I were out there with shovels, shoveling and burning thistle. Yep. Um, and, and then this year we didn't have thistle. I actually have, so most people call it tennis elbow. I call it. I call it thistle killing elbow. Yeah. From stabbing thistle with a shovel. I'm telling you that yeah. stuff. It's and it's doesn't. It's not there every year. <clears throat> no. And so, uh, to really geek out and go dig deep into that, weeds are there for a reason, and the reason is usually soil related. It has something to do with the soil. Mm -hmm. And so thistles pop up, and and thistles are actually nature's way of repairing soil. Mm. They're, so after you disturb the ground, thistles are the first thing to come up yep. because it's repairing. Yep. Makes perfect sense. Yep. And so I like, at first I was like, oh, we need to get rid of all this thistle. And then I did a bunch of research and a good, a good friend of mine who I actually bought the bison from has taken, um, he's actually fixing to be certified for, you know, soil and ranch management, the regenerative mm -hmm. methods. And he sent me a, a little screenshot of his book. And it talks about weeds and why weeds are there. And it's always soil related. Mm -hmm. So if you've got thistle, that means there's something in your soil that's out of balance. Mm -hmm. Or 
you've disturbed it yeah. or something. And that was the case for me. It was mm-hmm. a disturbance. Yep. And, and then cheatgrass also really likes to come in during ground disturbance mm-hmm. is the other thing, um, which... Another, know, another really horrible, bad one. Horrible really bad to get rid one. of. Another well, because the animals don't even want to eat no, it. No, another one you can and you can kind of control if you get in there and and you know get it on the ground before it seeds. Yeah. However, that is. If you mow My it thing. Or I I sprayed virgin grass with chemicals. The problem is you can't kill a broadleaf weed. And cheat grass without killing, like I had sanfoin planted, um, which is a legume, um, similar to alfalfa. Uh, alfalfa and, and sanfoin are, are somewhat similar in protein levels and whatnot. Um, palatability, sanfoin's a little higher, but it won't, you can't get as many cuttings out of it. Um, but if I wanted to spray cheat grass, I could spray cheat, cheat grass and not kill my sandpoint. But if I wanted to spray for the cheat grass and the broadleaf weeds, nothing's going to grow. Yep. So you have to have this balance of, you know, what am I going to put in there? The, the one thing I was learning was if I sprayed my cheat grass and you water good enough and the grass gets the opportunity to flourish, like if you seed in the fall, and you, you do it right, you know, you sow your, your, sow your seed in properly and you get it enough water, the broadleaf weeds have a hard time competing with grass. Mm-hmm. It's drought. When the, dra- when the grass gets choked back with drought, that the weeds are like, ha ha, yeah. <laughs> I don't need as much as you do. So I'm going to take over. And so that was the problem I had is I didn't have irrigation. I had, I had domestic water. I was watering my food plot off of. And, you know, my frequency um, could have been better on the watering. Um, and that would have helped kind of choke out those broadleaf weeds. But when you don't have flood irrigation capabilities, it's a lot harder to control that broadleaf weed growth, um, which I'll geek out on the farming with you. So it's fine. We'll go right there. So Yogi and I are looking at 255 acres and that has been a pasture for cattle. And I'm looking at this thing like so overwhelmed, like number one, I have, you know, four animals, three mules and a horse. And there's, you know, three of them are fat, like roly poly, blah, 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 blah. One of them starving to death. And I'm like, how do I manage this thing? And I'm, and I'm overwhelmed with fencing and just listening to you talk about, hey, you can do these smaller pastures and it doesn't take as much to hold them in. And I'm like, ha, huh, maybe, maybe this is a more feasible way that I could manage that large space. But then also you and I talked about, like, if I get it, maybe you could bring bison in and rotate some bison out there. Um, I mean, 255 acres, what do you do with it? It's all grass. Yeah. Like there's, you, you, I mean, you can let it grow a little bit, but then it's not good for it to just leave it alone. Well, it's been sitting for years. Yeah. You don't have enough animals to, to to do anything anything with it. Well, what am I, I'm going to let them eat to death. I mean, I can't do that, you know, so you gotta, is it irrigated? No, it's all natural. natural. Um, but there's two reservoirs on it. Uh, natural reservoirs that I think I could line and really, you know, get some Maybe water. Pump in. Some water yeah. Out, but yeah. yeah. But I wanted, I wanted to touch on the soil thing before we got too far ahead because it kind of was an epiphany for me and it, it kind of turned my mindset around is because, you know, you, you see the, the weeds is the problem. Um, but the weeds aren't a problem. They're the symptom. Mm-hmm. Like they're the, they're, you know, um, they're an issue to the problem. The problem is actually the soil and what's going on with the soil. And 
So I was read a little deeper into it, and, and it's just imbalances in the soil that cause the weeds. Yeah. And so by addressing what those imbalances are in the soil. And you can do a soil test. They do a, mm, what's it called, like a yep. pH test on your soil. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's like multi-level. There's a lot yeah. of different things they look at in the soil. But you figure out what, what your soil is lacking or what it has too much of, and then you try to figure out how to balance that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the weeds go away. So that's without chemicals, without chemicals, exactly yeah, with yeah. your management practices. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to say that, you know, maybe some, some man-made fertilizer isn't going to happen because like our place, half of it's been farmed its whole life. Yeah. And so that soil, soil actually does get addicted to fertilizer because it's just, that's what it's always had. Yeah. And so it takes time and you kind of have to transition it into the, you know, regenerative side of life. Um, and the funny thing about soil is, is like soil's a living organism. Like yeah. people don't think of it that way, but soil's a living organism. Like it, it is full of all kinds of living things. Absolutely. And I'm not the scientist and I'm not the Well, and when you dig a expert, potato for the first time out of the ground and you touch a potato and it's warm, it's like for me, that was the first epiphany of this is Mother Earth. This this soil is the incubation of sustainability mm-hmm. as far as harvesting food. And, um, she is, this ground is the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same as a womb. It's warm. It, it's nurturing. It's giving. And you have to put into that womb what you're trying to get out. You know, if you want the healthiest yield on your harvest, you have to put into that ground. What's going to help it yield. You know, just like when you're pregnant, not that I've ever been pregnant, you want to eat well. <laughs> so you have a healthy baby. It's the same thing. Right. Have you ever tried? No. Oh, to get pregnant? I no. I'm no. yeah. No. I'm no. My husband and I were married, but we don't, don't do that. We pregnant. don't do that. No. Okay. Jeez. I was wondering. No. Um, yeah. So clearly, we're married. We don't do that. It's <laughs> 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 just your arm charm. Yeah. <laughs> no. So 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 there's microorganisms and fungus in the soil that make it alive, and that's what makes it grow thing. Like yeah. that's what things grow in is yeah. that, that live soil. And, uh, I mean, we, this is where I can wrap the holes huge. I don't want to go down it cause I'm not the expert, but I do know that there's a huge difference in, in a field that's been tilled all its life mm-hmm. and a field that has just been, you know, farmed and used for grazing and, um, hasn't been a bunch of chemicals and fertilizers and yeah. stuff on it. Um, which one of our fields has always been farmed. It's always been tilled. Like it's had the shit tilled out of it. So we're trying to bring that one. That's the exciting part of what we're doing right now is like, we're going to turn that back into grazing, but we had to plant a whole bunch of um, legumes and we've planted a bunch of annuals, but like radishes and mm-hmm. peas and um, we've got alfalfa and clover and like a bunch of different grasses. But the goal is, is those annuals, like the radish and that sort of thing, like they're going to grow up, their roots are deep, mm-hmm. so they're going to penetrate the soil. Tubular roots. Mm-hmm. And then when they die, they're going to go back into the ground and create organic matter, mm-hmm. which helps feed the organisms and, and yeah. everything that makes soil alive. Um, when you till, you kill that. You literally yeah. kill that, that mother, what mother nature created yeah. to grow things. And so excited about that piece because... You know, you read about it, and you hear about it, and you listen to podcasts about it, yeah. and now we get to put it in an actual. So, what practice. you're doing is no-till farming. Yeah, I mean, we're not farming. We you know we're converting from yeah. farming to grazing ground. But yeah, it's just it's going to be fun. It's a blast. It's um, but yeah, people don't. 
know, people. So there's a difference between soil and dirt. And if you till it, it becomes dirt. Yeah. And if you let it live and help it help it flourish, it, it's soil, which what's, is what produces, right? Mm-hmm. So it's funny because our, um, I maybe I'd love to follow this in a year, but um, all my neighbors are cattle guys. They were blown away by the winter. And the bison don't hardly eat anything. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I didn't have to feed any hay. Um, and they just don't eat much because they're they're wildlife. They're mm-hmm. just like... They're, we have not they're browsers. Domest- well, we haven't domesticated them to the point where they rely on us for their food. Mm-hmm. They're still wild, just like elk, deer, you know, everything. Um, so their systems are, are designed to withstand the winters. Yeah. And of all the North American animals, like they're the best best capable of withstanding like montana and you know hard hard yeah. snowy winters and so well are is this their native like you're talking mm-hmm. about all the benefit that them grazing has into the ecosystem and the soil composition and plant life is this their native ground anyway i mean weren't yeah. they here for that purpose yeah. at one point like god put them here yeah. <laughs> like hey let's have these animals here because they're good for the soil and they're yeah. great to eat. Before our they're federal great government, to eat. they're great to eat. <laughs> yeah. Our, before our federal government tried to... Uh, Exodus. Yeah. Yeah, they were here. <laughs> yeah. But, which is a cool story. I do want to add this. Um, and we don't have to talk about bison the whole time. But um, the cool story about our animals are they came from Canada. And they came from Elk Island National Park. The vast majority. And we got like four or five that, that did not come from Elk Island. But... The vast majority of our breeding herd right now came from Elk Island National Park. Those animals at Elk Island National Park in Alberta are direct descendants of um, Montana bison out of the Flathead Valley. And if any of your listeners are also Stephen Rinella followers, Steve wrote a book called The American Buffalo. And there's a story in there. So you have to get the book and read it. But there's a story in there that uh, a Flathead Indian was married in, in a tribe on the Flathead, you know, which is the west side of the, the mountains there by Kalispell country. Um, he left the tribe, went over to the east side of the divide, joined another tribe, got married to another woman, and then decided, ah, I kind of want to go back to my other tribe, but I know they're going to be mad at me. So, And I'm probably going to butcher this story, but you get the gist. They're going to be mad at me. So one of... Uh, I'm going to bring him something. Yeah, I'm going to bring him something. <laughs> so one of the elders in the tr- in the new tribe said, hey, why don't you take him some bison calves, which still existed in some areas, right? They hadn't killed them all yet kind of deal. So he took six bison calves back. And when he got back, the the his old tribe, the Flathead tribe, didn't, didn't want the calves, didn't want him in the tribe. So he took those six calves down, sold them to two native ranchers, and then took the money and went to Missoula. And then... Um, I'm not going to tell you what happened there because you got to read the story. But he he essentially, in that move, helped save bison in North America because those two, it's um, Pablo and Allard, were the native ranchers. They grew those six calves to 600 bison. Wow. And then the federal government came in and said, hey, we're settling the Flathead Valley. We want you to, you got to remove all these bison. You got to get them out of here. And they're like, what do we do with 600 bison? And the federal government's like, we don't care. We don't want them. So they ended up selling some of them to some ranchers in Texas. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure some went back east um, to, you know, like a small handful. The vast majority of them ended up going north to Alberta. And that's when they got distributed to, like, Elk Island National Park mm-hmm. and the National Grasslands there. 
these animals are from that. So there's direct descendants. It's cool. That's a really cool conservation circle. piece, right? And I'm really into conservation. So for me to have that opportunity, the way things transpired to bring these animals back right it's super awesome Mm -hmm. and and so i'm really going to um focus on those genetics and and expanding those genetics Mm -hmm. um and just trying to be a part of that conservation story um but it's just kind of a cool piece but you got to read that book it's a great book about bison if you're interested in bison at all um well there's such an iconic piece of american history that's absolutely tragic tale i mean it's it's tragic, you know, what, what once was. Well, I mean, I can't imagine. I, we were through Yellowstone the other day and before the roads washed out. And, you know, we got to see the wild bison in Yellowstone. And that was really cool. And being a Wyoming resident. Um, you love saying that, don't you? <laughs> rub it in a little bit more, okay? <laughs> uh, don't move to Wyoming. It's windy. Uh, being a Wyoming resident, you know, just driving through and, you know, having these animals is is literally their wildlife still in Wyoming. And that is, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, there's not, there's not many places in the world where you're like, yeah, this is a genuine wild animal here where, where we call home. And, um you know, that state's kind of one of the last frontiers and, um, driving your car and you see bison, don't get out of your car cause they'll kill you. I mean, can. For your listeners, um, if you're in Yellowstone National Park or any other park that has bison, like South Dakota, if their tail's up, you should probably get the hell out of the way. Tail That's, up is bad. Tail up is bad. Yeah. If their tail's yeah. up and they ain't pooping, they want to kill you. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. a telltale sign. Yeah, pun, I don't, pun intended. I don't mess around with the bison. When we were there, I'm like, I'm not getting out of the car. I'll take a picture, zoom in on the camera. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not. And they won't look at you. They'll they'll look from the side. And if they're looking from the side, that's also also a bad sign. Bad sign. Some yeah. of these were like laying down. Yeah. You know, that's they're, yeah. that's they're pretty relaxed at that point. I feel like. But uh, I'm sure they can move about like a grizzly bear and be on top of you in half a minute. So, so side story: we were in the we were in the park. Um, we were we were coming out of the wilderness yeah. in Montana down in the park. But anyway, um, we're looking for big bull bison, and we just happened to come into the park as we're hiking out. And you know, you see bison; they're all big, right? You don't like what's a big bull bison? I yeah, I didn't know. And so. You drive through the park and you see all these bison, you see big bulls and everything. Well, we were way up high on top of the ridges above where most of the bison are, like the Lamar Valley. Yeah. And so we were up on these ridges and there was some bulls up there that were by themselves. And there was one in particular that was out in the middle of this meadow. And I'm like, what, you know, we're glassing him from like 200 yards away. And I'm like, hey, I can't see his horns. You know, so we're trying to get it closer to get a bigger, better angle. And we got within like 100 yards, maybe 120 yards. We're glassing this thing. And I'm like, I, I cannot see his horns from 120 yards away through my 10 power binoculars. What the hell? So we start yelling at him. And we're like trying to get him to stand up, which probably shouldn't have been doing. But we wanted to see him. And so he started like rolling. And uh, we was, we thought, I thought he was just wallowing. Well, what he was trying to do was get up. Because he was so freaking big. He couldn't get up. That it took a couple of rolls to get momentum to get his ass up off the ground. And when he turned around and stood at us and looked at us, I could just see the tips of his horns that were, like his head was this wide and his horns were like this big. And so for your listeners, like 
if you can see a lot of horns, that's a good bull or whatever. But if you can't see horns, that thing is enormous. Like they, their head grows into their horns, basically. Right. So and if they have big horns that are obvious, they're smaller bulls. Yeah, younger, smaller bulls. If you can't see horns, that is a giant bull. And that's, I mean, it's still to this day, that's the biggest bull I've ever seen. But, Haunts you a little bit. And, it was, and we were out in the middle of like 120 yards from this thing, standing out in the middle of a meadow. And I'm like. And he, we got him out of his bed. And this is not a smart place to be. <laughs> I'm like, with packs on, you know. I'm like, let's get out of Dodge. But anyway, that's kind of cool. Cool experience yeah. to be out there. And, and like legitimately, like that thing could have killed us. Oh, you know? easy day. Yep. Yeah, it's nature's very humbling on their sheer power that some of these animals have. And mm-hmm. they're, they, you know, they seem rather docile, but um, in reality, they're... They, they can be. I mean, they in Yellowstone, people get out and they, they attack people and kill people every year. It's like, this is a wild animal. This is not a zoo. You're not, I mean, even in zoos are wild animals. But you know what I mean? Like, yep. this is, this is na- like, there's no fence here. There's nothing to protect you. Nope. Other than your own common sense. And hopefully some people have Most that. Most people don't have a that. A lot of people don't. Yeah. Dead Downwind Laundry Soap goes far beyond just being unscented. Their liquid laundry soap is my go-to for cleaning up blood and dirt stains, especially on items that don't easily fit into the washing machine. The liquid soap works great in your utility sink. Just pour and soak your gear or scrub and spray it off in your driveway. Remove stains, clean and deodorize all in one when you unleash the power of the industry's most effective scent killing enzymes. Dead Downwind Laundry Soap, check it out. Hey you guys, I'm Christy Titus and we're out here hunting using OnX Hunt to help locate access points and roads to take our side by side. The goal is to find those spots where we can get farther away from pickup traffic, stay on approved roadway systems, cover more miles, do more glassing, and have a better opportunity at finding the animal of a lifetime. You guys, if you're not using OnX to help you locate approved roads, you should start today. And if you're new to OnX, use code WILD20 at checkout for your elite membership to save 20%, code WILD20. I think what you're doing out there is awesome. I mean, you've taken this huge transition from, you know, focusing so much on, on working for other people to conserve to now you're doing your own conservation project in your own literally in your own backyard which is uh i love it i think it's a great story and i think it's super awesome and and i love that you had this dream and you know you talked about it for a few years but your entire family did what it takes and that's that's what i think you know you take a successful person from somebody who never achieves their dreams and you have to just be willing to go for it you know, if you have a dream and you don't make that step to make it happen, it's never happening. And, and you found a way to make it happen. And and that's that's what it takes. Well, it's like you said, or, you know, we started this podcast. Everything happens for a reason, yeah. right? And uh, it, it was definitely my dream, definitely my, my project. Um, but it would not have happened if I didn't have. I mean, it wouldn't happen to the rate it did. I mean, I would have found a way. Yeah. But um, my, my stepdad, Mark, who's since passed... Um, he, he, he like was all in and yeah. that, and that, and him being all in on my dream, um, is a big part of the reason that we're here today. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom and my, my brother, Todd and sister-in-law, Shelly, and my wife, Jeannie, like we wouldn't, I wouldn't be 
pursuing yeah. that at the rate and, and degree that your we whole are family now. is sacrificed. Yep, we all You're sacrificed. In, you've been in a season of sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. So to put it into perspective about you know what sacrifice looks like, we lived on we had five acres, uh, all fenced, irrigated, a beautiful lodge style home. Yeah. Um, in I was at your house. Florence, it was beautiful. Montana. Yeah. It was a beautiful place. Like we sold that. I talked my wife into selling that and paying off all our debt and putting money in savings and living in a one-room apartment, one-bedroom apartment for a year. And then and then my parents decided to jump in, so they, we sold their place too. When we moved to this place that we have now, it's just south of Bridger, um, which is south of Billings, Montana. When we bought this place, there was no livable, there was no house to live yeah. in. There was a house there. It wasn't livable, really. We all... My mom had a fifth wheel, so my stepdad and mom were living in a fifth wheel. My wife and I lived in a she shed. Mm -hmm. It was a box that wasn't, it was about half as big as this tent. No running water. The power was an extension cord, and we slept on cots. Yeah. We slept on cots and lived that life for four months. Mm -hmm. uh, We we used an outhouse, uh, showered about once a week. Uh, the, the big splurge was driving to town and getting a trucker shower at the old flying J and, uh, like we lived that way for four months Yeah. and it wasn't until I realized that we weren't going to be, so we're renovating the top of the barn when I realized we weren't going to be, have that done and livable before winter hit. And I finally, we broke down and bought a fifth wheel, Yeah. but we've been living in a fifth wheel and, um, which is great. I mean, it's fine. But, you know, the level of sacrifice from the beautiful house that we lived into what's going on today is like, it was a freaking sacrifice. And, you know, it was daylight till dark. It still is. Work. You know, working daylight till dark. Um, which I, I asked for this, you know. I, yeah. And when times get hard, I'm like, I just got to remind myself, you asked for this. This yeah. is what you wanted. Yeah. Just suck it up, buttercup. Well, um, and I think that um, things have become so easy and and. I I have friends that are, you know, oh, I can't afford this or that. And they're driving brand new trucks. They yeah. they want a half million dollar house. And, and I, you know, I, in my place in Oregon, I mean, I had a brand new custom home. It's like a, out of a book of magazine, beautiful homes. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I have done the same thing. We're like, we're selling that. We bought the cheapest house we could find that's 120 years old. Yeah. We will be 100% debt-free. I wanted to not, I I told my husband when we made our move, you know, obviously we're sacrificing not to the same degree, but I said, let's live simpler and let's live the lifestyle that we are going to have the most out of as far as life as a married couple. Like the house was great in Oregon. It's beautiful, almost 4,000 square foot, brand new custom home. I know, right? It's beautiful. I I remember the house before that. Yeah, I know. Well, we won't talk about that story. (laughs) But I mean, it's a beautiful home, but I'm like, no, let's just, let's, let's get rid of all of this stuff. We bought a 120 year old house. We're living in downtown Sheridan, which is, is beautiful. It's a great neighborhood, cute house, adorable house. But it's going backwards from what? Well, it's you know, not going the, backwards, well, from though. from living in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From living in the town, country. Moving, like, yeah, you exactly. You feel like that's going yeah, backwards. Yeah, it is going backwards as far as that goes. You know, we don't have the things 
that I had gotten used to of having my mules in my backyard and my dogs and, you know, my dogs got really used to for an hour a day, half hour in the morning, half hour at night. We're feeding mules. We're, we're touring the property, checking our quote unquote trap line. I don't have any of that stuff anymore, but the way we looked at it is this our, this is our way to some financial freedom. We can pay cash for our house and we can buy property that, you know, we could never have in Oregon, but beyond that property aspect of it is we have hunting and fishing and freedom and there's there's so much more to be said for that and our cars are paid for you know um and there's not i don't know a lot of people and i have a nice truck don't get me wrong i have a nice truck but i had a lot of equity going into my truck because i bought and sold vehicles well um our cars are paid for my drive my husband drives a old toyota pickup truck but I mean, we've just, we've gone back from, you know, I have all these friends that have brand new cars, fancy RVs, huge mortgages, and they're always broke. And we're just like, no, what is your, what is in your heart really? Yeah. Where do you want to be in life? If things get crazy, like we saw with COVID, the most peaceful thing I had was my property. Like knowing that, you know, if they shut downtown and, and everything is shut down, my husband and I can you know, still hike and breathe fresh air and have the freedom to move around and do the things we love um, because we had my, my property. And, and, and I feel horrible for kids that are, you know, at that time stuck in apartments and stuff. But we just decided it was better to live simpler, like you're talking about, emotionally, mentally, from a stress standpoint. Um, I don't need a big fancy house. So we, de- we decided, like you're doing, not to the sacrifice that you and Jeannie are making and your family's making, We haven't had to sacrifice that much, but I think that a lot of people will find a lot more happiness in less is so much more. Less is so much more. When you don't have to worry uh, about your car payment and your mortgage payment, you're not drowning in all this debt and all this stuff, and you have the ability to go out and enjoy your life with less stress and, and to see more beautiful places, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Oh, 100%. like I commend you guys a hundred percent. Like the sacrifice you guys are still making. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and we're not out of the weeds yet. You know, we're. I mean, we're. I mean, literally a year into you know this business, basically, and and um, you know we're selling meat and stuff, but you know we're not. We haven't reached the point of financial stability no. yet, and making ends meet like i'm the sacrifices are still like huge yeah i mean we don't go out to dinner because no. we can't afford to the beans you know. and rice diet yeah, yeah i mean and we don't get me wrong we eat really well yeah. like we eat bison like yeah and i've still got a freezer full of elk meat yeah. and that sort of thing but but like you know we don't i about died i didn't bring any food with me i had to eat freaking buy a three street tacos in here and a yogurt and a Powerade and it was $30. It's so, well, up here is so expensive. But anywhere you go, like we we couldn't go out and go, my wife and I couldn't go out to eat and not spend less than 40 bucks. No, you can't. No matter where you eat. No. Even hardly McDonald's anymore. No. So we just don't go out to eat. I don't, I, you know, I've dropped a lot of vices. I don't drink beer anymore. Um, You've lost a ton of weight. Well, thank you very much. You look great. Thank you. I, uh, yeah, I mean, and a lot of that's ranch work, right? Like you quit drinking. I, I, I used to be, I mean, I used to drink, um, and I recommend anybody that is thinking about stopping, stop, because you'll feel better for it. Yeah, and, you'll live longer. Oh, I, I lost probably 15 pounds of beer fat in like four or five weeks. Yeah. I mean, it just... Melted off. Yeah. And yeah. I felt better. My mind worked better. Um, so, More energy. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, part of that was, part of that was I needed to, because I was drinking a lot, but the other part is, 
financially that mm-hmm. it didn't make any sense. Um, you just be surprised what you live by. And what we were talking about earlier, I think, before we hit record was, you know, I don't know, talking about a TV show or something. Yeah. And it's like, who has time to watch that? TV. I have no time to watch well, TV. Well, there's more millionaires out there. I, I'm just studying people that have wealth and how they live. And they, you know, they don't watch TV at all. Mm-hmm. You know, and I make a TV show, you know, I, and I like say that, but, you know, people that have wealth don't sit around and watch TV. Yeah. They're working. There's stuff to do. There's stuff to yeah. do. There's there, always there's stuff, stuff to do. do. And my husband and I, we don't, heck, have What's his the, name? <laughs> Yogi. 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 But we don't even get in the house until 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the summer because I, I have the mules and I, I for me, that that's my, I don't have property right now. We live in downtown. So I have a little garden in town that I will, will dig flowers or whatever but we go out and we we feed the mules at night and i spray them for flies and clean their feet and jack around with them we do whatever we shoot our bows and we're out there and next thing you know you know two hours has gone by mm-hmm. you know and we go home and and we go to the house and it's like man it's nine thirty before we're eating dinner yep. and we're kind of doing the same thing you're doing um I have this freezer full of meat and we don't when we're home we don't go to dinner anymore like we eat out on the road so much that when we're home, we literally eat meat patties every night and we'll do a salad or raw veggies and that's it. We, we just, we don't, I mean, our grocery list is awesome because I, we eat the same food. I eat hash browns and ham every morning. We do wilderness athlete protein shakes for lunch and we eat meat patties and veggie for night at dinner. And, and I mean, I, I love the fact that I can hunt and we don't have to worry about where our meat comes from. You know, that we've got it in the freezer and. Um, and we will share it this weekend. Like you brought, a, which was a tremendous gift. And I don't know if the people that are here really appreciate, you know, the whole sacrifice that you made to make Friday night possible, right? Like that your family made, um, has made to make Friday night possible. You brought a cooler full of bison meat and you served up like... We, we... Because you were there, too. Well, I just cut meat. Okay. Um, you brought meat as well. Well, I know, but you you brought bison. You brought all the fixins for tacos. I, and when I heard you were doing that, I'm like, look, I know there's going to be a million people here. And I have something to to give. I'm, I feel like when your cup is overflowing, you need to share. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a biblical, biblical thing. Like a lot of people biblically will tithe 10%. Well... If you don't have that 10% to tithe, how can you still give to people? Um, because that's what God wants. You know, you want to share in your harvest. And so for me, I was like, well, if you're doing this and I'm just going to invite myself and I brought wild boar sausage and I brought elk and, you know, we, I just jumped in with you because, um, you know, I, I think that's part of being, if you're going to take, you need to give. And however that looks, you know, everybody's version of giving is different. But the sacrifice that you guys are making, and if you, any of you listens to, I won't go too much into Dave Ramsey. I don't want to start on that. But if you, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. But if you listen to him, he talks about the sacrifices that people are making, downgrading cars, paying off debt. Um living simpler, living within your means, living under your means. Mm-hmm. So many people don't do that so they can get ahead. So someone might look at you and be like, oh, you just bought 200 acres of a riverfront property in Montana, you friggin' brat. I can't afford to do that. Well, yeah, actually you could. Mm-hmm. You've sacrificed. Sacrifice. 
Yep. You could. They're, 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 I come from nothing. If there's like a literally saying, nothing. you live like no one else will live so you can live and give like no one else. Yep. That's, it, but it takes time. It takes time. It, takes, it doesn't happen overnight. No. And yeah, I mean, for, for what it's worth, like I, growing up, like a single mom, like my yeah. old man was an alcoholic, blah, blah, blah. Don't want to go into the stories. But when I was a kid, I was 12, I think I was 11 years old. My mom gave me $3 to buy shoes at Salvation Army. Yeah. And my buddy, my friend was like, hey, because I didn't have a fishing pole. He's like, hey, buy that fishing pole and I'll run out the back door with the shoes. <laughs> so I bought a fishing pole and my buddy stole my tennis shoes for me. But <laughs> we went fishing that summer. It, the, he's past that time where he can be convicted yeah, now. So yeah. we're, we're okay. Statue of limitations. I was 11 years yeah, old. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. You're good. So <laughs> we stole shoes and I bought a fishing pole. Um I mean, they would have given me the shoes or the yeah. right, but um, but that's how it was. Yeah. Like I had three dollars to buy tennis shoes when mm-hmm. I was eleven years old, and we didn't have anything. Well, I and changed irrigation pipe to earn my school clothes every year off yeah. my parents' place. So I Mowed grew up lawns, working, stacked yeah. firewood. Yeah. Like I pushed a lawnmower around yeah. town when I was twelve to yeah. buy my own clothes yeah. and everything. Um, so you have so a good I work come, ethic. Come from nothing. Um, I was. V- we were very blessed that my my step grandpa who I love very much. Um, he invested very well uh, when he was working and left my parents with, with some money. And and uh, it wasn't enough to like just go buy a big yeah. ranch by any means, but it was enough money that if we were willing to sacrifice things in you life... You could make it work. That, you know, my mom and stepdad could have lived very comfortably for the rest of their lives and not not done this yeah. and not sacrificed anything. Mm-hmm. Um and been fine, mm-hmm. but they chose to sacrifice. With my mom went from a, they had a four thousand square foot house, yeah. two car garage, like really nice place. Yeah, my mom's lived in a fifth wheel for over a year now. Yeah, you know that's a sacrifice. Um, it's just what you choose to do with yeah. and what you want out of life, right? Um, I, you know, I. So I invested everything that I've ever earned my entire life has always gone into real estate yeah. and in the equity that I've built over the, all the yeah. years. Same as me. I bought my first house when I was 18, Yeah. you know, and they've just built that equity and that's all I've ever had. Yeah. So I was willing to push all my chips to the center of the table to make this happen. And so were my parents. Now the deal is we have a ranch payment. Like there's a payment that has oh, to be for made. Sure. And so we, the deal is, is that my mom is going to help carry that for the first two years. And on the third year, my brother and I are responsible for that payment. Yeah. So come hell make or it high happen. water, we have to make this happen. Yeah. And, um, I'm not, I'm not going to fail. Yeah. But, uh, but it's, it's, it's a hell of a sacrifice. Yeah. Talking about cars, like my pickup's got 350,000 yep. miles on. It's been, you know, it's, uh, nothing pretty. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Yogi's is like, yeah. 220 in his Tacoma, but those things run forever. So, you know, on the excursion, you know, everything like I bought that, it's paid for. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a great tool for what we're doing. You know, um, we don't have nice, nice, fancy cars and, um, and I I don't want that. No. It's not what I want. No. I want to be able to work daylight till dark. I want to spend time with my bison and I want to enjoy good times with good friends and family. That's why we're here. And share. Mm-hmm. share the love of bison and the benefits of bison and just kind of change the mindset for the health of the people mm-hmm. and the health of the environment. And well, I can tell you the other night, those tacos that we made. Okay. The, the tacos we made the other night were, uh, 
freaking amazing. Like the meat is amazing and I love the story behind it. And, you know, I hope that everybody that's listening to this podcast can feel a little bit into your soul and, and wants to support that small business and is like, hey, man, you know, um, I, I'd like to buy some of this. or I'd like to look at how can I be a part of this? And Or, hey, maybe, you know, we're going to go, we want to go glamping. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> look Come you guys visit. up. Come visit. Um, you know, and so there's so much to what you're doing and it takes, it literally takes, um, so much sacrifice, you know, and, and, uh, as you know, being your friend, I, man, I want you to be, I want everything to happen for you just the way you want it, you know? And that's cool. That, that's what I love about events like this is that we're all here and we're all really trying to help each other along, you know, uh, no handouts, hand ups, yep. you know, like, Hey, I'll give you, I'll help you. You're doing this. I'm, I, I'm all in. How can I help you? Where yeah. can I, where can I be your friend and help you? And, um, yeah, that's pretty cool about this whole event. And, and if you guys all haven't been to a tech event, you should come to a tech yeah, event. Yeah, tech's rad. It's it fun. really is. I mean, it's... And you get to shoot your bow. It's, you get to shoot your bow on some of the funnest, coolest places on the planet. Yeah. But, you know, it's a great community. Yeah. And, you know, like to that point, like what you're saying, Sean DeGray and, and, and uh, you know, this whole tech community... Um, you know, it's just... I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss for words because the support's... Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's just unbelievable mm -hmm. and appreciated, and you know, like you said, hand up and yeah. not hand out. Um, well, yeah, you're Monica as well. Like Monica is actually really the brains behind the operation. And yeah. We all know that. Um, so yeah, huge thanks to them mm -hmm. for letting us be here and being a part of their family as well. Yeah. And, yeah, this, yeah. this event has grown. Yeah, I think there was 4,000 people last weekend, and there's over 3,000 people up here this weekend. And it's a tremendous community. It's family-friendly. Everyone's out here. And, um, you know, you, you look around and you walk around here and you see the vendors that are here supporting the archery community and the hunting community. And it's like, man, those are the people I want to... I want to, when I do spend my money on something, mm -hmm. I want it to be spent with people that really support what we're doing. Yep. And that's why I'm so excited to be at the Bear Archery Trophy Ridge booth. These guys have been, I mean, Fred Bear obviously is the founder and yep. um, we know what a incredible conservationist and the legacy that he's left behind and, and shooting for Bear, I feel a, a tremendous responsibility to honor his legacy. Um, and I think being an ethical hunter is part of that. And I think what you're doing goes beyond just hunting. It's, it's sustainable harvest. It's a sustainable lifestyle. And you're teaching something that, that we can all, we can all benefit learning from, which is a little sacrifice, a lot of hard work, and you can make your dreams possible. That's a fact. Yep. Amen. Yeah. And, uh, there's no such thing as an overnight success. I think it comes with uh, dirty hands, <laughs> well-worn boots and a lot of work. Yep. Worn out gloves. Yeah. And I love, I'm like you, man. I, my dream is not living. I don't do crowds. Of, I have a really hard time with crowds of people and I come to these events and they're great, but I have, a, I mean, I'm, I, I'm just not a whole people person. I'd rather, when I go home, I've, I'd rather lock myself into a, a spot with my mules and like you with your bison and just not come it's out for a while. To, it's hard, it's to, hard, it's hard to come out. It's, it's hard to come. Even, I, I have to force myself out of that. Yeah. I, I haven't been, I've, I actually haven't been to attack since uh, pre COVID. Um, and you know, all my friends are here, yeah. family here, and it's just been a while. And even that, like it was like hard to leave yeah a little bit yeah well you have so much responsibility there's a lot going on i'll admittedly while i was gone um three or four months ago would have been a different story but bison got out they didn't they got out in an interior fence they didn't yeah. get out of our place but got were where they shouldn't have been 
Um, and irrigation kind of went south. Oh, you had some. You had and some... so there was some drama going on on the ranch, and I'm like, deal with it. Yeah. Have fun with that. Like, yeah. Because that's what I do, you know. It's because my brother's down from Alaska. He's two weeks on, two weeks yeah. off. He works for Alaska, fills ships with oil. Um, so he's having to deal with it. Yeah. And I'm just like sitting back, I'm like, first break in a year, yeah. pretty much. You're right? ready you for know? Like, I didn't even get to hunt last year hardly at all. Crazy. And so I'm just like, have fun with that. Let me know if you need any advice. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to have a break. It was great. It was great. Nice break. Yeah. Well, it's good to see good you to here. to see you as well and finally get to meet you. I know. And there were so many stories that we just oh my God. didn't get to today. We got off on our farming bison stuff, but we'll get to them on the next one. Okay. Cause There'll I'll, be a I, part two. I want to tell the story about your old house. Oh, That's gosh. Funny. That story. <laughs> the house. Yes. The previous, previous house. The previous, previous? The two houses ago. So you oh, guys wow. have to stay tuned for that. So if people want to find you online, social media, how do they support you and get behind what you're doing? So Wild at Wild Bison Ranch, uh, Instagram, we're starting a TikTok. I'm not good at it. I'm, I up. honestly have been like way why? behind on all social media. Oh, wow. um, I won't get into also, why we shouldn't do that online. I'm uh, just... Ty, uh, underscore K underscore Stubblefields Instagram and we have Facebook pages Wild Bison Ranch and then our website is wildbisonranch.com okay. and we have jerky and meat packages like you can buy grind and steaks and whatnot and we do ship you can come to the ranch and pick it up um, so yeah the reason why real quick we do this thing called Harvest Host and uh, we had a, a, a van life girl come the other day okay she she's uh, ambassador for buffalo clothing or bison clothing. There, it's a girl's line of clothing. Okay. And so she was wanting to do all these pictures and stuff. Well, she's got like fifty thousand followers on Instagram and fifty thousand followers on TikTok. Anyway, she said it's like she was pointing out some of the things about Instagram and the direction they're going. Yeah. And TikTok is not. And uh, TikTok is more. Um fun and still engaging in what probably what instagram used to be and has changed tiktok is so owned by the ccp that's all i gotta yeah. say anyway so that's that's why <laughs> i don't tick tock i don't, I, don't I just soon freaking move irrigation yeah exactly <laughs> but it, social media is, is a necessary tool and i get it so i yep. won't fault you too much for it but thank you for spending an hour and whatever with me and thank you guys for listening and we like uh, to talk well, we didn't even get started. That's the thing. We're like, we're just getting warmed up. <laughs> all right, you guys, check out Ty. Check out Wild Bison Ranch. Thank you all for joining us Thank for this you. episode of the Wild Nine Cut Podcast from Total Archery Channel. Big Sky Montana at the Bear Archery Trophy Ridge booth where we're just kicking back. Love enjoying you the last time. day. Yeah, love you. I was doing the heart, you know. <laughs> My husband does that. He's like, (laughs) thanks, you guys. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Wild and Uncut podcast. If you would like to hear more, be sure to subscribe to my Pursue the Wild digital series on YouTube and follow me at Christy Titus on Facebook and Instagram.